This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado and this week by Nathan Roderick of UteZone.com going to help us preview Oregon State's upcoming matchup with number 12 Utah in Salt Lake City on Saturday. Saturday morning if you're in Oregon and Saturday afternoon if you are in Utah in that mountain time zone. Uh, Angie, I want to start with you and and just kind of check in with you after uh, what was an emotional roller coaster last weekend in Corvallis and then we'll bring Nathan in here. Um, full disclosure, I have to check in for a flight in about 25 minutes out to Salt Lake City. So if I go, uh, if I go radio silent in about uh, 25 you know what i'm doing but um angie let's uh let's touch base with you since we haven't heard from you since the uh the instant aftermath of oregon state's disappointing loss to usc last week yeah that was a rough one um but i'm excited i i i hope the team has flushed this as much as i have for the most part i mean i i've seen a couple replays or little clips and it makes me kind of you know you kind of sit there and think what could have been um oregon state had usc on the ropes but new week Another very, very tough opponent. Utah is who I actually picked in the Pac-12 media poll to finish first in conference. I had, I think I've said I've had Utah one, USC two, Oregon State three. That was my preseason. Um, so I'm looking forward to a very, very good game. I, I don't like the 10 points. Um, I, I'm not a better, but I think I'd almost take Oregon State in the 10 points because I think that's a little, uh, a little large of a spread. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for a, a new week. And to help us preview that game, we are reaching out to one of the experts along the 24-7 Sports Network. It's always fun to do that on Thursdays as we preview the upcoming game. And with us today is Nathan Roderick of UteZone.com, the Utah 24-7 affiliate. Uh, Nathan, first of all, thanks for joining us. And uh, I guess let's let's kind of give you a little intro here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're based, how long you've been covering Utah, and uh, introduce yourself to to all of the Beaver fans listening here on the Damn Podcast. Yeah, yeah. My name is Nathan Roderick. Just actually graduated from the University of Utah in May. Congrats. Did a degree in finance, uh, but on the side, you know, I love to 
to talk Utah football, and I've been doing it for about four years now. Uh, was with Rivals for a little bit, and then Steve Bartle recruited me over to uh, the 247 site, and, you know, there's no looking back. I, lo- I love what I do, and, uh, you know, it's a fun when your team's really good, and uh, it's been a good j- ride so far. Just wait till your team gets really bad. Yeah. We'll see if you're saying the same thing. Yeah, we'll see if I keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, we've we've covered a couple of what one, two win seasons for Oregon State. So hey, it's been fun looking at uh, you know, I was looking back at what Oregon State did in my first year back in 2018, uh, winning what one Pac 12 game against Colorado and and where they're at now, going into a game against a highly ranked Utah team. And here we are saying, man, Oregon State's got a chance here to, to come out with a win and, and maybe crack the top 25 themselves. But um, as we know, Utah always poses a really, really difficult challenge for, for anyone, uh, including Oregon State. You know, the Utes have, have except for last year, kind of dominated the, the series in recent years. Uh, so let's kind of dive into what the Utes are, are fielding this year. They're uh, what they're they're undefeated still. No, check that they're undefeated after their season opener against Florida, uh, going down into SEC country and, and losing that. But they they haven't lost since and, and they've looked good in doing so. Um, Nathan, let's just get kind of your general thoughts on on the way this season has has uh, started off for the Utes before we dive too deep into things. Yeah, obviously, it was a pretty disappointing start down in the swamp, uh, Utah basically lost that one. I don't, Florida played really well, but I feel like Utah lost the game and Florida didn't really win it just because Utah got stuffed on the one yard line. They threw a pick, you know, in the red zone to finish the game. And it just seemed like the, the ball wasn't rolling in the Utes' favor that day. And it, they played okay. The defense, you know, was is young and they played very undisciplined and had a lot of missed tackles that we don't really see. And the offense played well. They had 450 yards of offense. They just couldn't get the ball in the end zone, which, you know, has been lingering this season. Even last week, they haven't been able to uh, perform very well in the red zone. Um, But overall, since that loss in the swamp, they've bounced back really well. They've played a couple bad opponents, um, but they've done what they needed to and handled business up to this point. Um, The defense has stepped up. I think in the last couple of games, they've only allowed over like 163 yards combined over the last three games. So the run defense has really stepped up and uh, really looking full forward to uh, the rest of the season. You mentioned that young defense, and obviously we know and, and we're familiar with some of the faces that are, are no longer on that defense. Devin Lloyd comes to mind. I mean, Nephi Sewell, uh, just a, a long list of guys who are off to the NFL after you know, putting together all Pac-12 and, and borderline All-American careers with the youth. So speaking of that defense, which obviously, is, as you said, has performed um, uh, about as well as it ever has in, in recent weeks, who are some of the guys who are stepping up uh, in those guys' absence? And and who, who's kind of the reason that the youths haven't taken a step back there? Yeah, I think that one of the biggest names to look out for would be Cole Bishop, the strong safety uh, last week, he played really well uh, off the edge. He uh, He's a strong safety, but he plays in the box a lot. They like to walk him up, and sometimes he looks like an outside linebacker, and he's played really well up to this point. Uh, Clark Phillips on the outside, you don't really hear his name often just because he gets put on an island and covers the team's best receiver, and you don't really hear about them the rest of the game because he does such a good job out there. And then in the middle, you want to look out for Junior Tafuna, who's a sophomore. He's a little bit – 
lighter across the whole defensive line this utah team is a little bit lighter than they are in years past and just because of recruiting they're trying to get more athletic guys on the defensive front and junior tafuna is one to look out for um, he used to be a linebacker in high school actually and they beefed him up to be a defensive tackle and has played really well up to this point it's a utah defense that oregon state posted 42 on last year and that upset win at reeser uh, Angie, I'll, I'll pass it off to you if you want to get involved here and, and throw a question at Nathan. But um, that's definitely a matchup that I'm watching for is, you know, can Oregon State find similar success against a defense that we know has been one of the best in the Pac-12 over the, over the last few years? Yeah, I, I'm curious about, you know, one thing when I think of Utah, I think of that stout defensive line. How is their defensive front this year? I mean, I, I think about all the great defensive tackles they're able to get a lot of times going head to head with Oregon State and um, recruiting battles. How is that defensive front this year for the Utes? So that first week against Florida, they really struggled. Uh, there's no ifs or buts about it. They struggled. They missed a lot of tackles. They missed a lot of assignments. Uh, they really struggled with the defensive ends. They, they got too far up the field and allowed Anthony Richardson just to scramble on the outside. And it made Anthony Richardson's job pretty easy. Uh, but since then, uh, they played really well. And they played assignment at sound football. Obviously, their competition hasn't been great. Um, but that first week was really discouraging, to be honest. They they are pretty young, sophomores and freshmen all over the defensive line. And, you know, they didn't play well that first week, but since then have played really well. Another guy to look out for would be uh, Van Fillinger, number seven. Um, he slimmed up a little bit in the offseason and looks he's really fast off the edge, as well as uh, Jonah Ellis and Gabe Reed are the other two defensive ends to look out for. Uh, it took them a little bit to get going this year but since that first game they were dynamite they sacked anthony or emory jones five times last week um so it's not your typical utah front where they're so big and they plug holes they are more athletic and like to get in the backfield a little bit but sometimes that has hurt them this year so it I, i'm used to utah like you said kind of being that attack from the edges you, you're talking about how great the run defense is if oregon state is going to have a shot offensively what do they need to do yeah, I think, you know, the Utah pass defense hasn't been tested that much. Uh, Anthony Richardson's a good quarterback, but he didn't really beat them over the top. And since then, they haven't faced a great quarterback or pass attack. So I'm really interested to see if Chance Nolan can get the ball downfield a little bit to test the young defensive backfield. Um, they just haven't been tested at all, so we don't really know. And the last time when they really got tested was in the Rose Bowl when, you know, Jackson Smith and the Jigba was – probably still running to this day um so i want to see how they respond to a good passing attack i think uh oregon state you know could expose them on the outside maybe uh as well as last year you saw what happened in the running game uh oregon state just smashed them in the mouth and utah didn't really have much of a response and the beavers rushed for 260 yards it's something that you've never really seen but that's just you know credit to jonathan smith and the culture that he's building and the type of team that he has because they are so physical and they can go to a team like Utah and not be scared and just smack them right back in the mouth. So I, I think, go ahead. Oh, I was, I just think Jonathan Smith, I mean, I have a ton of respect for coach Whittingham and I really, Carter, you and I've talked about this, how we really feel that a, that the teams match up so well together. They're very physical. They're very blue collar, hard work. Maybe those three star recruits that maybe need some development. They're not going out getting flashy, big names. Um, do you think, that is good for Utah to face a team kind of like themselves, kind of a mirror image. Yeah, for sure. I, I have 
so much respect for Jonathan Smith and what he's doing. And you talk about that development and everything. And, you know, Carter mentioned Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd was a two-star safety before he came to Utah. Turns into a first-round pick, and he was just named the uh, defensive rookie of the month in the NFL. So that just proves, you know, how much development, you know, happens at the University of Utah. So I don't want to say like Jonathan Smith is copying what Whittingham does, but they definitely have a similar blueprint where they're not going to get the four or five stars that USC and Oregon are getting. They're going to have to get the three-star guys, you know, develop the heck out of them and play really well. And so I'm interested to see how Utah will respond, you know, to getting have, facing an underrated team like Oregon State. Um, I think it can be an advantage for Oregon State as well. I love that you bring those those similarities up, Angie, yeah. because on Monday in, in Jonathan Smith's press conference, I actually I, I kind of asked him a little bit about that. I was like, you know, this every year when when Oregon State takes on Utah, it feels like we talk ad nauseum about Kyle Whittingham, the job he has done. You know, we, we ask Jonathan, you know, what is it about what Kyle Whittingham does and, and the culture that he's built that has allowed him to build this Utah program up? And, you know, I asked him you know, how much are you, are you kind of following that same path in, in your own way at Oregon State? And he said, well, I've still got a long way to go, um, but there are a lot of similarities there. And so I think it's it's interesting every time Oregon State and Utah match up because we do think of, of these two teams as very similar blue collar, um, you know, player development type programs that aren't going to go out and win the flashy recruiting battles, but they're going to develop guys. Um, and, and in most of the years past, we've seen that result in a lot of close games between these two programs. Yeah, I agree. And I was talking to Steve Bartle, our editor last night, and Oregon State is the team that nobody really wants to play in the Pac-12. Utah had that title for a while, and they probably still have a little bit of that title. But right now, Oregon State's that hungry team that is really physical. They have to go to Corvallis sometimes in a half half research stadium, and no one really wants to play them. No one wants to get smacked in the mouth. You know, they don't play the traditional West Coast football, which I, you know, I love about Oregon State. But um, it's it's kind of it feels like Oregon State, you know, is like those younger Utah teams from, you know, four or five years ago. And they're just a couple guys, you know, away from making a big step into the, the conference and, and competing for the conference. We've talked a bunch already about that Utah defense, how it's kind of carried the way for them. And in the past, you know, we've. I feel like Angie and I at least have have felt like, you know, maybe Utah relies a lot on its defense. The offense hasn't necessarily been on that same level. But since Cam Rising uh, arrived what, early last year, when I think it was, he won that job. Um, I mean, that offense has has looked about as, as quality as the defense. And we're not seeing kind of a, a one-dimensional team uh, that we had in the past with Utah. So I'm curious how much improvement you have seen offensively in that program just in the short time that Cam Rising has been there because it feels like you know this is a team that isn't just going to hold teams into to 17 and rely on that to win it feels like Utah can get into a shootout and, and win that type of game too yeah you're definitely right and we saw that in the Rose Bowl I mean that's the definition of a shootout going toe-to-toe with Ohio State I mean in the years past Utah was carried by good defense uh, good special teams and a good run game but now Cam Rising, you know, he's been so good because he can attack the defense through the air. He has some great tight ends to do so with. And Utah ha- had Tyler Huntley for a few years, but I don't think – I think Cam Rising is a little bit better and has a little bit more touch on the ball that Tyler Huntley didn't have and has the ability to stretch the defense out a little bit that helps the run game. 
Uh, Utah still has a great run game. They're going to be run first. That's probably never going to change with Kyle Whittingham being the head coach. But having that aspect of being able to stretch the field a little bit um, with Cam Rising has been great to see. Yes, he he's had some great weapons that are gone now. You know, Brent Covey and Brent Keithy, who's out for the season. So that's like the big question mark going into this week is who's going to step up and who's going to be there for Cam Rising and be a, a security blanket, you know. But Cam brings a lot of swagger and confidence to this team that, you know, Utah has a little bit in the past, but nothing to the level that, that Cam brings to, to the team. Yeah, I, it's, it's, I feel like it's even the playing field a little bit. I was, I was really disappointed, though, to hear that um, Brent Keithy is out because I think he is such an electric player, and I hope speedy recovery for him. ACLs are never fun. But Oregon State is also without their top tight end and pass catcher in um, Luke Musgrave. So um, who are the targets that Oregon State should watch? You, you mentioned the tight ends in general. Who does Oregon State need to be aware of with you know their secondary? Yeah, the, the two biggest guys that, you know, Cam Rising is going to go to will be Devon Vele on the outside, number 17, tall, fast receiver uh, that has improved significantly. Uh, we talked about development earlier. This kid was a walk-on uh, a few years ago and just has grown in the program and is a really good receiver now. And then the other would be the tight end, Dalton Kincaid. He had two touchdowns last week against Arizona State. He can stretch the field vertically and has great hands. And then behind that, that's kind of where the big question mark is. Who else is going to be, you know, stepping up? Uh, a couple guys to look out for would be Money Parks. He's a slot receiver, number 10. What a name. Awesome that's name. A incredible good name. name. Incredible name. So the sample size on him is very small, but um, he will probably play a little bit in the slot where Brant was playing. That's just going to be so hard about replacing Brant is that he played tight end. He played in the slot. He even took some handoffs sometimes. So, like, you need three different guys to replace just Brand. And so, as far as a tight end spot, look out for Thomas Yasmin, number 87 from Australia, ex-rugby player. He got one catch last week and went for 72 yards. Um, and so, he's the guy that will step up in the tight end spot and uh, likely get some targets there. One for 72 is, is pretty good efficiency yeah. in, in my book. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oregon State and Utah traditionally and and especially in years past or in, in the, the most recent years past have, have been two teams that rely heavily on the tight ends. And I think, you know, it's it's probably beneficial for, for both of those defenses to, to face that kind of offense in practice every day. I mean, Trent Bray at, at Oregon State was actually asked about that yesterday um, on, on, on Wednesday, how much. Uh, of a lift or, uh, you know, how, how much of an advantage that defense gets facing the likes of Luke Musgrave, Jake Overman, Jack Velling, JT Byrne every day in practice. And he said, yeah, that, that does, you know, very much prepare us for a team in Utah who likes to use their tight ends in the same way that we do. Um, of course, you know, you mentioned with Keithy, I mean, even lining, lining up as a running back sometimes. I mean, we saw that from Luke Musgrave last year too. He, he took a carry. So, um, two teams that do like to use the tight ends in in very unique ways, and I think it's it's, it's going to be fun to see how they're utilized this weekend at, at Rice Eccles. So how? So I ask you opposite if the defense. How is the offense? If if Utah's going to win this game, or if Oregon State wants to stop Utah on offense, what do they need to do? Yeah, Let's just from some yeah, just from film study that I've done on Oregon State, 
you know, Utah started very slow against San Diego State a few weeks ago. They didn't – they hardly moved the ball at all in the first quarter. Just by attacking gaps and giving the offensive line confusing schemes, I think Oregon State does a good job of, you know, keeping the offense on their toes and disguising blitzes and attacking gaps. I think Oregon State, you know, has the potential to, you know, really confuse the U- Utah offensive line, who didn't play very well last week even. Uh, they started the season very well but these last two weeks have struggled. So uh, they are pretty young up front. And I think the Oregon state defensive line and linebackers can confuse them with some stunts and blitzes and, you know, weird alignments. I think San Diego state did a lot of that and Oregon state can do uh, something similar. I worry Saw about a lot of rising, that. running on them. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's interesting. You say that because cam ran a lot against Florida and it seems like, they don't bring it out a lot just because they don't want him to get hurt, you know, and they only bring it out when he's, they're kind of desperate and, you know, he's trying to stretch a play or on a third down. So it'll be interesting to see how deep Utah goes in their playbook to, you know, to stretch the field out and get Cam Rising going on his feet as well. How much of, of Oregon state versus USC did you see? And, and I bring that up now because I think we see a lot of similarities between Caleb Williams and Cam Rising just in in their ability, not only as as downfield throwers, but maybe they're not getting designed runs called for them all the time, but they just have, they have something there with their legs that makes them so difficult to bring down. And we saw Oregon State last week. I mean, the Beavers pressured Caleb Williams on, on seemingly every play. I mean, they had 11 quarterback hurries, but they only brought him down twice. So I'm curious how much of a similarity that you see there between Caleb Williams and, and Cam Rising, and how difficult do you think it will be for Oregon State's defense to get home against Rising? Yeah, he's very elusive, and the offensive line has done a good job of protecting him so far. I mean, he didn't get sacked against Florida. Um, got sacked a couple times against San Diego State, though. But what you know, what surprised me was how frustrated Caleb Williams got on Saturday. You could just see it in his face on the sideline. Lincoln Riley had to go console the guy multiple times. He was so confused. He was so frustrated. And it was really surprising to me. And I saw just on Twitter the other day that Caleb Williams is still mad. He's not even talking to the media right now. <laughs> like the Oregon State defense really did a number on this guy. And I think that speaks to the secondary of Oregon State. They frustrated him. Obviously, they brought a lot of pressure. But the secondary of Oregon State is incredible. They play really well. They're long, athletic. And they did a great job of shutting down USC. And I, you know, I feel bad for the Beavers just because anytime you give up 17 points to USC, I mean, you think you're going to win that game, right? But um, obviously they came up a little short, but I was really impressed by the uh, Oregon State secondary for sure. Kind of a, a bigger picture question here for you is, well, we'll only keep you for a couple more minutes. And um I know you've got all sorts of stuff on your plate as you cover this game yourself. So we'll, we'll get you out of here before too long, but um, Utah hasn't really, you look at the schedule and, you know, we mentioned their only losses to Florida. I feel like you look at that schedule and you say, man, the Utes haven't really played anybody that's tested them outside of Florida. I mean, that, that schedule you, you mentioned, you know, they haven't really had those tough opponents there. Um, so I'm curious, you know, the, the one, the one really strong opponent that they did play, they lost to, how telling do you think this game will be of, of where the Utes stand as we very quickly approach the midway point of this season? Um, do you feel like you've learned enough about the Utes at, at this point and, and how much do you expect to learn this week? 
Yeah, I think this is a, this will be very telling, especially you know how Oregon State beat these guys last year. It's gonna be interesting to see how they respond, you know, to getting smacked in the mouth because they didn't respond very well against Florida, um, and they lost to San Diego State last year as well and responded very well this year and just completely shut down San Diego State. However, they haven't seen anything like the Beavers up to this point. It's gonna be really interesting to see, you know how they respond to getting hit in the mouth. You know, Utah's always the one that as soon as the whistle, you know, the kickoff goes, Utah's the first person to punch him in the face. And they just kind of walk around with that swagger, like we're physical, we're going to beat you, and we're going to beat you for four quarters. But Oregon State can keep up with them. Um, so I'm really interested, interested to see that. And I'm also interested to see how Oregon State responds being on the road. Uh, just doing some research, they've struggled on the road in the past. I remember – Last year, they beat Utah pretty handily. And then the next week, they go on the road and lose to a pretty bad Cal team. So I'm really interested to see how Oregon State can respond to having such a big game last week, if that's going to have a hangover going into this week. That's the million-dollar question, I think, with a lot of people. Yep. Anything else for for Nathan, Angie, or should we uh, get a prediction from him and, and get him out of here? We can get a prediction and get him out because you and I have some stuff to break down, too. Yep. All right, Nathan, uh, your thoughts. You don't have to go on the record with a score or anything, but if you want to lay it on us and uh, and how do you see this thing unfolding at Rice Beckles Saturday afternoon? So uh, I think this will be a very physical game. Um, it's kind of going to be a weird one starting so early. Yeah. Maybe that'll affect the Beavers a little bit because it's starting at 11 a.m. out there. Uh, and like I said before, maybe they have a little bit of a hangover, you know, from USC because it took so much to even compete with those guys. Interested and really want to see how much depth they have, um, you know, because they they'll be tired, you know, they'll they're playing at elevation. Uh, so I think Utah, you know, pulls away in the fourth quarter. Uh, it's going to be a physical for about three quarters. I, I'm predicting like 27-17 for the Utes. Um, and it could be closer, you know, uh, Vegas has this game at around 10, 11, I think. Uh, so I think it'll be around there, but um, I think it's going to be a great matchup and it'll be really indicative for the rest of the season for both the Beavers and the Utes. Very similar read on this game from Nathan Roderick of, Ut- of UteZone.com that, that I have on this thing. So uh, I won't tell we, you where uh, I'm at. Yeah, we'll we'll save that. We'll save that for the Beaver Blitz staff picks Friday morning. Um, but you can actually read b- between now and then. Uh, we'll have Nathan's expertise up on the site as well in our behind enemy lines feature this week. Nathan, we want to thank you again for taking the time out of your schedule to to join us here on the, on the podcast and break down the Utes. Yeah, thank you guys, and I uh, hope you enjoy your time in Salt Lake City, Card. Appreciate it. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks, guys. That is Nathan Roderick of UteZone.com, generous with his time to join us here on the Dan Podcast. We love bringing guests on on Thursdays to break down Oregon State's opponents, and and we always get so much good insight from the 24-7 Sports Network. Angie, I'm not going to ask for your prediction yet, but I know it's 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 a juicy one. It's a good it one, is. and so we'll use it that is. as a plug for BeaverBlitz.com staff picks tomorrow on Friday. I'm about a minute away from needing to check in for this flight. I'm on Southwest, so like you know, checking oh, in right gotta, at yeah. time is is really important. So, um, with the next minute here, 
let's uh let's let's plug beaverblitz.com remind the the listeners out there here on the damn podcast that beaverblitz.com is the place to be throughout Oregon State's football season for in-depth coverage of the Beavers on their quest to a Pac-12 championship. Angie, we ran a, a promo this week at Beaver Blitz. I don't know if it's still going, but if it is, I'll, I'll let you plug that. It is not, but um, there is the first month for a dollar if you want to come check us out. Um, but believe me, you'll want to stay for the year because honestly, there's so much coverage, not only signing day coming in December, basketball season, baseball season, um, spring camp. It, Carter, it's a never-ending time. Um, we we kind of have no downtime at Beaver Blitz. So um, join us. We would love to have you. The lodge is getting busier and busier. So what a great place to get in, discuss Beaver sports, recruiting. Um, we have some really, really solid discussions there with some very knowledgeable people. We have parents online on the board. We have former players that uh, stop in and give their insights. So um, just all in all, it's a, a great place to come and talk Oregon State sports. So uh, Utah. Carter, did you get checked in? Group A, position 51. Let's Woo! go. <laughs> I don't think you can get much better on Southwest because I think they save like the first 49 or something for. Yeah, like, I I will feet. I will take that. I mean, Group go. B for, well, you know, I have to go through, I go from Eugene to Oakland to Salt Lake City and um, I'm in Group B, position 36 to to get out to, to Salt Lake City from Oakland. So not as good as, as Eugene. I'm expecting a a very empty flight on the way down to Oakland, but people are not here to listen to, uh, to my travel itinerary. So uh, let's take a quick break on the audio side and we'll be right back to, uh, to, to take a deep dive into this game from an Oregon state perspective. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. There's a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent the personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. The news from Corvallis this week, Jonathan Smith, of course, had his weekly press conference on Monday, outlined some of the injury updates, really nothing of, of note there. Uh, Luke Musgrave and Trey Lowe remain out. We kind of expected that. Um, we, we think that those will will continue to be, you know, more of the, the long-term type things, and, and Oregon State hopes to have them back towards the uh, towards the later part of the season. Um, but all of the other injuries are are kind of day to day. You know, Smith's not going to go on the record and say, "Yeah, this guy's going to go. This guy's not uh, with these injuries." But um, yeah, Angie, unless unless you've heard anything else since then that suggests no, otherwise, it's it's I, kind of just a wait and see type thing. On I mean, I'm, I'm actually pretty impressed because I thought OSU might come away, especially defensively, with a few more um, injuries against USC. Such a physical game, but Trent Bray said. All's a go. Um, everybody's good. And um, so, no, it's, it is Musgrave and Trey Lowe. Um, we still don't know. I, I've heard 
what what injuries. Luke is not ready to be ruled out for the year, so that is a very good thing. Trey, I've heard it was an aggravation, so I know he's had some knee issues. I don't know if it's a knee issue. Nobody's saying, but um, again, he's not ruled out for the season um, week to week. So hopefully, those guys can heal up. But in Musgrave's absence, I have to say I've been pretty impressed with, especially freshman Velling Luke or uh, Jack Velling. I've been pretty impressed. I think he's having some growing pains, a little couple false starts here and there, but. Um, I've been impressed with what I've seen from him so far. Yeah, Jonathan Smith actually mentioned that on Monday that you know he's he's pretty impressed and, and proud of what he's gotten from Jake Overman, JT Byrne, and of course Jack Filling, as you just mentioned, in Musgrave's absence. We know that Oregon State has built up a ton of depth at tight end over the last couple of years. It has been one of the focal points of their recruiting, uh, uh, you know, their recruiting plan. Uh, since Jonathan Smith took over and, and they've built a lot of young talent there and we're starting to see some of that um, translate to the field. And I, I think getting Jack Velling out there as a true freshman was was pretty cool to see. He had that 19-yard catch uh, for a first down. I expect to see more of him this week. And I think Jake Overman uh, slides into that blocking role like we have seen and, and maybe you see more of Jack Velling as a receiver. But JT Byrne too has been getting in and I agree. I like Overman, kind of in that Tegan Quatoriano blocking role, flex him out when when needed. But um, do we? PM see asks in the in the YouTube chat, do we see more Coletto as a blocking tight end? Hey, why not see him as a receiving <laughs> tight end? I mean, he caught I a thirty yard pass against USC. Um, interestingly, you know that was that was something that we saw some of in fall camp, and um, we were specifically told, you know formations where guys are lining up trick plays and everything please keep that under wraps um so yeah we we had seen that coming a little bit i'm not gonna lie i i was you know i was, I was a little happy when i saw that come to fruition because i was like oh, they've they've really been holding that one back i, I want to see this you know every week i'm like where's this coletto tight end play um, but we saw it against usc i, I also want to bring up i can't highlight it but carter can pm has I would love to see Jam come out as RB1 against Utah. So this is one of my big things. And Carter went down to the to the Smith Presser on Monday, and I wanted him to ask this question about the whole rotation thing. And this is where, this is why I'm not making the hundreds of thousands as a offensive coordinator. But Carter, what are your thoughts? I mean, Jonathan says he's committed to this whole rotation. And while I'm not opposed to, you know, maybe having a third down back and, and bringing some guys in, I really want to see a guy get in rhythm. And, it's not happening when you're pulling guys in and out. And, you know, whether that's I, – I really do think Jam took a huge step right there against USC to, to make a, a play for that RB1. Nothing against Deshaun, nothing against Damian, but I loved how quickly he, he could hit the hole and, and he was gone instead of getting maybe tripped up at the line of scrimmage. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll give you Jonathan Smith's thoughts first. I know, and I don't and, agree uh, with it. And, 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 you know, he was asked – I. <laughs> I, I didn't even get a chance to take the mic before I before this question was asked. So I know it was, I think a lot of people kind of saw it the same way that you did. And, and this was one of the very first questions that came up on Monday was, you know, where what's the balance between letting a guy just roll and and get momentum and, and kind of build a rhythm at running back, riding the hot hand uh, versus versus rotating guys in so that you're not you know nobody's getting too exhausted and you know you've got all these different guys that do different things and you want to see them all where do you draw that line and and he said you know we, we do like to ride the hot hand and and that was part of why jam got so many looks mm -hmm. against usc and i i read that as you know jam griffin wasn't necessarily a huge part of the game plan but then 
he had a couple of nice runs and they they kept going with him. So I, I think we did see a little bit of that. I, I think we saw a little bit of J.M. Griffin um, earn some more carries against USC. But at the same time, like you said, Deshaun Fenwick, Damian Martinez remained part of that rotation. Um, and and it's something that, that confuses me a little bit just because I think if you... <laughs> You know, you're consistently getting two or three yards with Martinez and Fenwick, and it it showed up mostly in the USC game. They had, you know, been much more efficient early in the season, not to a BJ Baylor, Jamar Jefferson level of efficient, but more efficient than two and a half yards per carry. Um, but then J.M. Griffin goes out and averages seven, and, and yet he's only getting a couple more carries than the other guys. I, I'm interested if it was a, if it was a one game a one game breakup from Griffin, or if this is, you know, really what kind of running back he is, I, I lean towards the latter. I think it just took him a little while to get acclimated to that offense. Um, and I expect him to to show a lot more of, of what we saw from him against USC. But to your point, Angie, there does seem to be a little bit of a disconnect from, you know, Jonathan Smith's perspective on how to manage this running back room. Um, you know, AJ Stewart and, and Brian Lindgren's approach to it as well. And what the fans are seeing and what the fans want to see. And I, and I get it. I mean, jam did have more carries than everybody else, but it just seems like in crucial areas, Deshaun, or that was Damien. And I heard that anybody getting exhausted. I'm sorry. These are like 18 to 22 year olds that do this all the time. Quiz never got tired. BJ didn't get tired. They're not 50-year-old men out there trying to run every down. I don't know. I, I thought that was kind of a, a lame answer. But like I said, I'm a 40-something-year-old woman so that, that doesn't run the ball. So <laughs> Here's one for you, though. Okay, okay, so let's say you've got four guys in your running back room that you really like. Deshaun Fenwick, Trey Lowe, obviously injured, but is one of the best players on this offense when healthy. Uh, Damian Martinez, Jam Griffin. If you're a coach and you've got all of those guys, how afraid are you that if you settle with one or two of them, that your depth in the running back room is going to disappear via the transfer portal? Oh. How much of a role do you think that is playing in their management of this group? That I think is about 98% of it is they're trying to keep guys happy so they don't leave. Um, but there's, I don't know, there's other ways of doing it. God, so at some point, put both of them in, have a two back set at one point. I think we saw that for one play. We did. We uh, saw one play. PFC. I don't know. I, yeah. I just think there's ways of doing it. Um, one of these guys should probably be turned into more of a third down back. Um, Damian Martinez, I think, has settled into a third down. Third down. Yeah. Um, that's that's pretty much exclusively. Where and when I see Deshaun Fenwick, I, I see a guy that gets he doesn't see the doesn't read the hole necessarily the first hole, and he has gotten tripped up a lot. He's had some good runs, but I see him more as a, a goal line guy. Yeah. If you're not going to use Jack Coletto, I like Fenwick in there. So I, I know that's, Carter, it's it's all based on trying to keep these guys from transferring. That's, that's what it's about. Well, once the Angie Machado office in the Valley Football Center is up and running, <laughs> you know that you will see a featured back in this offense. Exactly. But, um, Can I have a parking is... spot too? <laughs> yeah. Hey, parking at parking at Reeser is a lot more difficult during the week now oh. than it was a week ago before uh, before students got back. But we digress. Uh, Jonathan Smith also on Monday, of course, addressed Chance Nolan's struggles in the passing game. That was, you know, probably the biggest storyline to come out of that USC game. Chance Nolan's four picks, potentially, you know, I don't want to say the four picks cost Oregon State the game, but 
they were one of the many things that were the difference in that game. Um, they, that USC scored 10 points off of picks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Smith Smith highlighted that a lot of it was actually largely due to just a lack of protection. Um, some of those interceptions, you know, you had Nolan throwing off his back foot or he was on the run and he was just trying to find a guy to throw it to before he got sacked. And and there is an element of truth to that. In, in fact, Kyle Whittingham in his Monday press conference was asked the same thing and gave the same answer. A, a lot of that was protection based for, for Nolan's struggles against USC. But Smith also addressed that Chance Nolan needs to make better decisions with the ball. You know, we can't be throwing it over the middle of the field when we're under pressure. We, we can't be looking to feed it into a tight window um, when, when you've got a defender breathing down your neck. Because Chance Nolan is not Caleb Williams. Yeah. I mean, that throw Caleb Williams made for that final touchdown was pretty good. Yeah. So I, I guess, I guess, I guess what I'm saying there is that there is a more to it than just quarterback play when it comes to interceptions and, and Jonathan Smith definitely recognized that again, you know, if, if you're looking at that and saying, Oh, well, that's just Jonathan's way of defending his quarterback. Well, Kyle Whittingham agreed to, so it is, but that's where a, a veteran quarterback needs to know to throw it away or yeah. to even take a sack. A couple of the other interviews that were conducted throughout the week, um, shout out to, uh, to a couple of the, of the new Beaver Blitz members that, uh, staff members that were down there to, to get video for us this week, Ava Bruce and, um, uh, Katie, Katie's Katie Zagata. Zagata. Yes. Thank you. Uh, still new. I'm still, yeah, they're still new faces, but they are, they're grabbing videos for us throughout the week now. Um, saving Angie and I a little bit of, of time, to, time. to drive down all the way down there, but they gathered videos from Trent Bray. Uh, Brian Lindgren, a couple of offensive guys and defensive guys, and Andrew, I'm curious what your what your takeaways from those interviews were. I'll, I'll give you a couple of mine. First of all, Trent Bray, happy birthday! Uh, Did Wednesday. he really say he's forty? Yep. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Did not know that. Trent Bray turning forty on Wednesday. The uh, he actually, if if you watch the video up on our on our YouTube at, at Beaver Blitz video, uh, he was drenched absolutely drenched and it wasn't because it was raining out there uh, if excuse me there was a video uh, from the the equipment team's uh, tiktok of, of the players kind of holding him there by his arms and then you know a giant uh, water bucket was dumped on him so that was kind of his his birthday celebration on the practice field there don't ever do that to my me on my birthday just saying <laughs> no it was it was good yeah um, to see that yeah. Um, Tajon Lindsay, I, I think was the best interview of the week. In my opinion, the insight he provided on how Oregon state responded to that loss and, and how they're looking to bounce back this week was, uh, was second to none. He mentioned the, the leadership that he has seen from not only the captains, but, but everybody on this team coming up to each other, um, saying, you know, it stinks, but we have a big opportunity this week to get a win as big, if not bigger than the one we could have got last week. Um, Brandon Kipper after the game on Saturday, you could hear the passion and the emotion in his voice that this means so much to him. You know that this team is, is going to come out with their hair on fire in Salt Lake city. And I, I don't think that loss to USC is going to, is going to carry over at all. I, I don't either. And I, I was asked this on another, um, been on a few Salt Lake radio shows and podcasts, but they were asking about, you know, Oregon State having a letdown after losing to USC. And I don't see that. That's where I think this veteran team really 
stands together. This is going to be a team that regroups. You remember last year, the Beavs came, were, were, was coming off that really emotional loss up at Washington State when they came back to research and beat Utah so handily. So I, I think this team is going to have kind of a gut check here. And if this was a young team, I might feel a little, a little different, but this is such a veteran led team, you know, even the non-captains of, yeah. you know, a, a guy like Tajon, who is a strong leader, but not a captain. These guys are, are taking control and they're, you know, very vocal. I mean, Jaden Grant, Brandon Kipper, the, the crew. The line of the week from, from all of the interviews was Tajon Lindsay saying, we can't let USC beat us twice. And what he meant by that is obviously USC got that 17 to 14 win at Reeser, but we can't, they can't live in their words, head. We, we can't ruminate on that. You know, we can't, we can't let that hold us back from playing up to our potential next week. You know, we can't play like, you know, we're just going in there not to lose. You know, we, we have to use that as motivation. And, and I'm very confident that Oregon state will, I mean, this is probably the most mature group that, that we have covered as, as long as I've been at Beaver Blitz. Absolutely. Like I said, this, but I don't want to give too much away, but I think this is going to be a very, very positive game for Oregon State. So let's switch gears momentarily. We're going to come back to football and we're going to come back to Oregon State's game at Utah. But since we're kind of on the on the news trend here with uh, this last segment, just want to highlight a couple of schedules that were released today. So men's basketball. Um, actually, you saw this throughout the conference. All of the men's basketball schedules were finalized today. Yesterday on Wednesday, I think was actually the first official day of practice. So men's basketball season is, is gearing up and we'll I be thought, covering no, that. Think, is it, I thought first official day of practice starts like Saturday. Isn't that midnight madness all across mm. the country? Well, I know a couple of teams started yesterday. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I believe Oregon state started on Wednesday. Okay. Um, I, I'm sure that some teams will still hold okay. their, you know, their Friday midnight night lights and midnight yeah, madness Friday, yeah. and, and whatnot. But uh, a couple of notes from this men's basketball schedule. Uh, again, we'll get back to football here in just a second. Uh, the season opens Monday, November 7th against Tulsa. That game will be on the Pac-12 Network at Gill Coliseum at 9 p.m., Angie. 9 o'clock in the That's, in the evening. Not on a Monday night. That's a school night, on a Monday. Carter. I'm old. I got kids in school. I'm going to be asleep by then. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm not looking not looking forward to that. The the 8 p.m. football kickoffs get me too. But a handful of ESPN games for the men's basketball team this year. Interestingly, no games on Fox, Fox. or FS1, and then the rest will be on the Pac-12 network. So uh, after that dreadful season last year, okay. not as much national airtime for the Beavs this year. They all got burned last year. Yeah. The uh, the, the uh, baseball schedule was also released this morning yes. on Thursday. The baseball season will open February 17th versus New Mexico in Surprise, Arizona, as it always does. The home opener for the reigning Pac-12 baseball tournament runner-up slash conference runner-up. I mean, I mean, I don't even know how we refer to these things with, with the tournament in there anymore. Um the, the conference runner-ups will return home yeah. uh, on, I have this as November, November. 24th, but it's it's uh, it's February, February 24th versus Coppin State for that first home series. Going to be cold at Goss for sure, so bundle up. Uh, one more note from that schedule is that Pac-12 play actually closes on May 14th for the Beavers this year. Very early, 
of course, with the conference tournament pushing everything back by a week. And then uh, Oregon State actually gets their their quote unquote bye week, you know, when they play a okay. non-conference team um, last... in the, the final weekend of, of the regular season. So just wanted to highlight those things since they were they were in the news today. Obviously, schedule releases are very big news. Um, and we will be covering both of those sports when their seasons arise. But we've got about 15 minutes left here, Angie, to uh, to talk Oregon State versus Utah. We're going to highlight our keys to the game here, and then we'll run through the, the rest of the Pac-12 slate to close things out. Offensively, Angie, you have anything different from, from what I have in the rundown here? Um, no. Well, two things. I, I want to go back to my key from last week, which was establish a run, because I think if Oregon State can establish a run, keep the ball out of Utah's offense's hands, that's a huge positive. But I'm going to have to agree with your yours as well, because that that was, I think, the key to the loss against USC. I don't know if yeah, you talk about that. My offensive key is that Oregon State just has to cut down on turnovers. I mean, you look at the, the Boise State game, and it had, what, was that three picks and a fumble? Three. Um, Chance Nolan, of course, throwing four picks against USC. Probably the main reason for that loss to the Trojans, like you just said. I just think it's important to hold on to the ball in games like this where you're playing a highly ranked opponent and you know that you have to value every possession, especially if this game is on the lower scoring end, like I think you and I both kind of expect it to be. A battle of the defenses again. In those low-scoring games, Every scoring opportunity matters just a little bit more. And when you're on the road, things get even more, you know, you really have to take care of the ball on the road because your opportunities are already going to be fewer and far between in a hostile environment. So all of that to say, Oregon State is not going to win this game if it turns the ball over four four times. I mean, it's just not. It, It didn't last week, and I don't think it will this week. So in order to win this game, and we'll talk about the defense in a sec, but I think the defense has to live up to the the uh, to the performance that it had last week. But offensively, you just can't afford to to give Utah that many more extra possessions. Yeah. I, I do like that the game is is earlier; that it's not a night game at Rice Eccles because I think the fans won't be quite as rowdy. Um, unlike Nathan, who was kind of wondering how Oregon State will will show up, Oregon State practices in the morning, so I don't yeah. see this being an, an issue for them. They practice. They're they in practice at 1130 every day. So that's not going to be, I don't think an issue for them. Altitude could be a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I, they have to protect the ball and, and establish some run game and kind of control the clock. If you're controlling the clock on offense and uh, you know, getting to the quarterback and, and getting some takeaways on defense recipe for success. It's a good point about the practice times. And, and Jonathan actually talked about this on Monday you know, he said he's really going to sell to the team that this is no different for us than just any other day on the practice field because Oregon State does show up to the practice field at 9.30, 10 in the morning, uh, and they wrap up around 11.30 and, and head over and talk to us for uh, a, a lot longer than they would hope to. Um, <laughs> they love it. But love no, it's, you know, Oregon State always practices in the morning, and so I don't think going to Utah and, and playing in the morning is going to be much of a shock. It will be different in that all of Oregon State's games to this point have been in the evening or late at night. So from a, a fan perspective, certainly, you know, it's a much different um, game day experience. And and for me, I mean, I'll, I'll be getting to the stadium at like 10 a.m. So I'm, I'm hoping that the uh, But the you're not going to be up till like 2 that, in the morning. That's true. Writing. You'll get to watch the end of the, you'll get to watch Pac-12 after dark. Yeah, hopefully they've got uh, some nice breakfast options at, at Rice Eccles uh, for for the media. But uh, 
Um, yeah, I think that's that covers things offensively. Angie, if you have a defensive key that you want to throw out here, go for it. Well, I, I think two. I, I think um, okay. I, I think they have to have some takeaways. So just like the offense needs to cut cut the turnovers down, I'd like to see the defense get a get a couple. I'd like to be net positive on on turnover margin, and I'd love to see them pressure Cam Rising as much as they did Caleb Williams. I think getting pressure on him. Um, I'd like to see them actually go get home and tackle him and, and sack him a few more times. But just that 11 quarterback hurries was a thing of beauty last week. So just like you, my defensive keys are, are twofold. I, I like to limit it to one on each side of the ball, but some weeks I just feel like, you know, that last game provided us with something that we really want to see improved upon. So this week I've got taking Dalton Kincaid out of the equation as, as one of the keys. And I just think that's important in a week like this where, Utah is down probably its best offensive player in, in Brant Heathy. I mean, this is a tight end who has terrorized the Pac-12 over the last couple of years, reigning all first-teamer, I think, in, in the conference uh, in Keithy and, and somebody that, as Nathan said earlier, um, you know, is is not afraid to line up as a running back, as a slot receiver, as a blocking tight end. I mean, somebody who can do it all. And so if Oregon State can take Dalton Kincaid out, you know, his position mate and the only go-to target on this team right now is as far as um, as far as history serves, you know, those two guys are the guys. And, and with Kincaid being really the, the focal point of that offense, keying in on him and taking him out of the equation is going to be big because if Oregon State does that, then USC is forced, or sorry, um, Utah, Utah is forced to is is forced to move the ball in ways that it hasn't before. And like I said against USC last week, scoring early, getting USC off script is big because it makes them uncomfortable. I think this week taking Dalton Kincaid out of the equation accomplishes a similar thing where you're forcing um, Utah to to get things done in a different way than than they're used to. But again, I'm I'm rambling here because I have two keys. But um, you mentioned that you want to see Oregon State continue to get pressure on the quarterback, get home, bring cam rising down. I, I'm similar in that, but my key is actually just to contain the pocket. Yeah. So, yeah. I was, I mean, he's, you don't want to let him go run. Yeah. Because, and yeah. you know, if, if it comes at the cost of maybe not actually sacking him, so be it, but you can't let cam rising beat you on the edge with his legs because he is too fast of a quarterback um, for you to, to rely on that, to, to slow that offense down. And mobile quarterbacks has been the Oregon State kryptonite for years. Yeah. I mean, even if Oregon State puts up a similar line as it did last week with all of those QB hurries, but very few sacks, I'm okay with that this week because Rising does have that breakaway speed. So containing the pocket, you know, holding him inside that tackle box and um, generating pressure within it, certainly, but not letting him get outside of it. (laughs) I'm making fun of Carter using his hand signals here. Hey, I'm just, if you're listening I'm on the podcast. The, he's outlining, outlining the, the pocket. pocket. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not watching, it's not making any sense, but that's yeah. fine. We have fun on the damn podcast. So those are our, uh, our offensive and defensive keys. We laid out a lot of them this week, so we're only going to revisit yeah. a couple after the game, but as we always do on Sundays, uh, we'll, we'll touch on those and, see if Oregon State delivered on, on some of our keys. In the past, I will say, through four games, we're pretty good. If if Oregon State delivers on our keys, the game usually goes well. If they don't, they struggle. So um, 
I guess, take that as, as proof that we at least know a little bit about what we're talking about. Tiny bit. Um, Connor Johnson in the YouTube chat asks, where's Julian? Uh, we'll touch on this before we, before we move on to our final segment, because we didn't talk about Alton Julian in our brief little injury update. Uh, Jonathan Smith actually did address this injury in particular on Monday, basically said, you know, Oregon state quite frankly is set at the safety position right now. They're not in a position where they need to rush Alton Julian back from a serious injury. And while they want him out there, they're going to make sure that he's at a hundred percent and has enough time on the practice field and is, is truly ready to go full speed before they put him back out there. I mean, ACL tear is, is a full year and we're not there yet. So he is practicing. Um, he has been suited up the past two weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, they don't need him. So why risk the injury? Around the Pac-12. Okay. I haven't even looked at who the Pac-12 is playing this week. Let's see. Well, so much for my <laughs> so much for my segue. I was just going to ask what your Pac-12 no, I, game looking, of the week was. You know what? I'm looking at it right now. Okay. Oregon is Oregon State Utah your game of the week? That is the game of the week. I mean, that is that. I mean, obviously, but so this Washington is a two and a half point favorite at UCLA. I don't see this love of UCLA. I think they flat out suck. Sorry, (laughs) but I'm going to be completely honest here. So Chip Kelly's getting fired at the end of the season. Is that what you're saying? I don't see this media love of UCLA. I mean, they beat a bunch of nobodies and they barely did that. So I don't know. Sorry. That's my rant. That is my weekly rant. Um, I'm taking Washington on that one, Carter. By a lot more than two and a half. Washington's a two and a half point betting favorite. That's a Friday night game on ESPN. Uh, So Friday at 730, Washington goes down to an empty Rose Bowl. Not going to be anybody there. Oh, they're yeah. giving away tickets. Yeah, and if they get two thousand or for five thousand, for yeah, it's it's dumb. Uh, Washington by a ton. Okay, Cal at Washington State. That might be the next most intriguing game on the yeah. on the slate. Yeah, I'll give a shout out to the the Locked On Pac twelve podcast. Uh, I've I've been on there pretty much weekly throughout the season, previewing some of the the games and from an Oregon state perspective, but also going down the line of, of the PAC 12 games. And this is the game that we picked as, as um, one of the more, it, it feels like kind of a, feels like Vegas is maybe selling Washington state short is, is yeah, kind of the I, consensus, I the consensus we came to there. It feels like to me, if Washington state hadn't collapsed at the end there against Oregon, we'd be talking about the Cougs as a double digit favorite here. Instead, they're a four point favorite against the golden bears, but the golden bears are coming to the Palouse. I, yeah. 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 I, I, I don't know. I, I think the Cougs are pretty decent. Arizona, Colorado. So this line to me is, um, <laughs> this line to me is shocking. Uh, Colorado right now. So I'll, I'll tell you where it opened. It, it opened at Arizona minus nine and a half. And right oh, now it's, shoot. Yeah, it's it's up to Colorado's now a 17 and a half point underdog. If Colorado loses by more than two touchdowns in a field goal, I think we're talking about the Buffs as probably the worst team in college football. And I, I don't think that would be much of a much Better of a bad. stretch to lose to Arizona by that much. Who, <laughs> but the next one. I mean Arizona the, State. Sorry, okay. Well, I was just I was odd. just gonna say, I mean, if Colorado does lose by that much and it truly is as bad as it looks we could be talking about Oregon state being favored by as much as 30 in that game at Reese or a couple of weeks from now. Yeah, that's brutal. And then I'm looking next, next game on the docket is seven thirty kick Arizona state 
is a 25-point dog to USC. Wow. That that program's in shambles. That opened wow. at USC minus 17 <laughs> and a half. It's it's up to 25 now. That oh, could wow. be a that could be a 40-point win for the Trojans. Yeah, just the way that yeah. they have played. I mean, you throw out the Oregon State game. Uh, offensively, USC is is probably capable of hanging 60 on the Sun Devils. Yeah, yeah. And then the last game, it's a nightcap. It's the after dark, eight o'clock kick. Stanford at Oregon. And they are Stanford's a 17 point dog. Started as yeah. a 10 and a half point. I don't have a read on this one. My only uh, my only takeaway is that Stanford gets the, the just the, the, such Pac-12 treatment of playing back-to-back <laughs> 8 p.m. games. The Cardinal come up to Oregon, play at 8 p.m. on FS1, and then the next week host Oregon State, State. on the farm at 8 p.m. again on ESPN. I'll be there for Beaver Blitz in my pajamas at three in three in the morning, working at uh, at Stanford Stadium. Not looking forward to an 8 p.m. kickoff. I will tell you that much. I was supposed to be across the country for that game, so it would have been a 11 p.m. kickoff. Very few silver linings that uh, with, with is the uh, not... with with Hurricane Ian over there. But I guess if if that there is be... any in in your case, it's that you yes, will not be up until 6 a.m. watching this game. I was supposed to be in Fort Myers, Cape Coral. Not going there. Prayers to everyone in Southwest Florida because it's horrendous. Um, so do you, okay. Does what, is, what is your, I just want to your quick take on Stanford Carter, because do you think they are as bad as I think they are? No. For Stanford. I mean, for Stanford. Uh, no, I, I don't think they're, I don't think they're terrible, but I think they're a team that next week we're talking about. Um, I think we're talking about next week, an opponent that Oregon state's expected to beat by a couple of scores. You know, I, I think Stanford has slid enough that, I wouldn't be shocked to see Oregon cover this 17-point spread at Autzen, and I wouldn't be shocked to see Oregon State go down there and, and beat them pretty handily too. But I do think they still have enough talent up and down that roster to, to put up a fight a bit against pretty much anybody in the conference. But um, I don't know. There's they're just not, there's, not there's something Tyrone missing. Willingham, Stanford, bad. Yeah, there's, but, there's something missing with the yeah, Cardinal. And there, did you see EJ Smith is out? Yeah. for the season now. So he yeah. was their tough blow. Star running back. Tough anyway. blow. Looking ahead a little bit there to Oregon State's week 6 matchup, but week 5 on Saturday, 11 a.m. Pacific Oregon State at Utah at Rice Eccles Stadium. I will be there. I'm heading out to Utah very soon. Um so if anybody has any Salt Lake City recommendations, you can tweet at me, let me know where I need to go to dinner cuz I will be off before dinner on Saturday for the first time this season. So I will take any recommendations you will give me. We'll be back on Sunday, probably to recap that game. That's a, it's a travel day for me. So we're going to, we're going to see if we can fit that into our schedule. It may be Monday. however. It may be a Monday recap episode this week, but we will keep you apprised of that situation until then. You can follow Angie on Twitter at Angie Machado one. You can follow me at Carter Baines. Stick with Beaver Blitz for game coverage, recaps, instant analysis, and more on Saturday as Oregon State travels to number 12, Utah. And we'll be back Sunday or Monday for another episode of the Damn Podcast.
Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.